House of Mystery presents Inside Writing, the radio show where authors discuss their writing process in all genres. And our guest today, we have uh, an author and a doctor, and he's written a book. Uh, I believe it's his first book called Primordial, and uh, our guest is uh, Dr. David Sobel. Thank you for being here. Well, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for taking the time. It's really a pleasure. Well, um, so uh, it sounds like you have a background in, in um, as being a doctor, a surgeon, and um, and now you're writing as well. Um, what what made that happen? Like, uh, how did you get from doing what you do to becoming a writer? So, so my history is even a little more sordid. I, I was a lawyer before I became a doctor. I oh. practiced law for three years and then decided that I was going to go and become a doctor. Um, as far as writing, you know, I, I've always enjoyed writing. I've always enjoyed uh, telling stories. I, I will tell my patients now that, you know, medicine is really all about telling a story. We, we, we meet with the patient, we get, uh, uh, we collect a history from them. Uh, sometimes we'll do studies to, to kind of get a closer look at things. And then we put a story together that, that makes sense. Um, uh, I've always been an avid reader. I thought, well, this is a challenge. This is something I want to try to do and, and, and piece together, uh, uh, you know, weave together a story that, that, that goes from beginning, middle, and end. And, uh, and uh, that's, that's what I hopefully did. Well, that's, that's you know, it's interesting that you um, were first a lawyer, then to a doctor. I mean, at, what, what kind of, what was your intention as a person? Like, what were you thinking um, when you were before becoming a lawyer and, and doctor and that professional career thing? Kind of, where, where was your mind at then? Well, you know, I joke that I was raised to become any kind of doctor or lawyer I wanted to be, and so I, I became both. Um, to be fair, when I went to law school, I, I, I was young, and uh, uh, I liked the idea of it. Uh, I know this sounds crazy, but I was probably rebelling against my parents a little bit. My dad was saying I should go become a doctor, and I was going to show him and be a, and be a lawyer instead. Um, uh I will tell you, I absolutely love law school. I thought it was fascinating, and the practice of law was was really not for me. The day-to-day -day practice of law, I think it's an incredibly challenging profession. I feel very fortunate that I was able to, uh, to pivot and find medical school and then drill down. I'm a urologist. I specialize in sexual medicine. I'm very, very happy in my day-to-day. In my uh, with that said, um, I still have a lot of friends who are lawyers, and they're the smartest people in the world, and I love uh, going and having dinner with them. I just, the practice of law itself was not for me. Yeah, yeah. You, you, you know, you don't know till you're out there and you're, you're feeling it out and seeing what, what you like or dislike. I, I'm sure, but it gives you a lot of training for doing research and, 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 and things to, to write a book. Uh, certainly, it, you know, it helps with research. The writing, um, uh, again, when, when, when you're writing a brief, when you're presenting, you know, a story to, uh, 
to a judge or a jury when you're uh, – I did a lot of transactional corporate work. Uh, even that, you know, there's there, there were storied elements to it. So uh, absolutely it helped. And, and in my book, there's – you know, the, the main character is the general counsel or uh, for a, a hospital. And so uh, there's a lot of legal aspects to it, including some malpractice aspects to it. So uh, I have I have absolutely no regrets. I I truly enjoyed my education. It's helped me immensely. Um, uh, but boy, am I happy that I don't practice law. <laughs> Especially in these times, you know, crazy. Yes. Um, yeah. So I wonder uh, when you talk about having the history as uh, uh, being in medical and legal, and I look at the storyline. Um, the characters must, you must incorporate a lot of yourself into these characters. Uh, uh, there is a, uh, there's a urology resident who's a character. Right. I guess I would say I, I'm not as brave as my characters. I'm not as good looking as my characters. I don't think I'm as, as, as smart or as witty as my characters, but I hope that, that there's a little bit of me in some of them. So, uh, I, I, I think that's probably a natural process. Again, this is my first novel, so I, I don't come at you with a, uh, I'm 20 books in and, and I've created 100 different characters and I can give you backstories left and right. Uh, this was a very natural, organic process, and so I think you're probably right. I borrowed a little bit from myself, but there's a lot of, uh, fantasy, you know, wish I was taller, wish I was better looking, wish I was smarter, uh, and as good as my characters. Well, yeah, but, you know, how we see ourselves is always different than others. So, you know, you might be all of that and you don't realize it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, that's interesting. So um, it, it, it's kind of a weird process getting into writing a book and putting it out. What do you think it was that, um, let's say, give you the courage to actually think that you could write a book and um, and publish it? Like, what, what you know, besides, of course, just doing it. But what? Because you really put yourself out there by doing something like this, right? It's just like, especially in the world today with social media and everybody has access to you easily. Um, so it, it kind of, when you actually decide to write a story and publish it out there, um, you kind of are exposed. Um, what, do you think there's something or a catalyst for that for you to, to make that happen? So um, I, I have to say you're, you're absolutely correct in that, and I didn't fully appreciate that when I started. Um, and then very quickly it kind of snowballed, like the thresholds of, of, of where's my comfort level and, 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 you know, what am I trying to achieve? You know, I am a professional. I'm out there. I, 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 I'm a surgeon. I operate on my patients. I, I didn't want to throw something out there that would be embarrassing. Um, uh, you know, it's been, the book has been really well received within my hospitals and, and, and by my staff, but, I remember when it came out, there was a real amount of anxiety that I, you know, I didn't want people to go to it and just, you know, I wanted to sort of pass that litmus test that, okay, this is a coherent story, this makes sense, this was entertaining, 
um, you know, and uh, and yeah, it's you, you you do feel incredibly vulnerable um, when in most other aspects of your life, you, you you know, especially as a surgeon, you can control a lot of your life, and in this aspect, it was uh, uh, it was putting myself out there in a way that I've never done before. Um, what's interesting, the book, the, the chapters are are are, are very short. Uh, and punchy, and ironically, you know, uh, th there's a reason for it. The book was written as I was a practicing physician. So, you know, it's three in the morning, I'm in the emergency room, I'm waiting for a CAT scan to be done, and I pull out my iPad, and I could, you know, I knew where the story was going, I knew what I had to go, what had to happen next, and I would sit down and do another chapter. And so this really was a, a process of one step at a time. Um, I had my physician assistant who we shared an office at that time was wildly helpful because I would finish a chapter and I'd say, well, here you go. What do you think? And I'd get that sort of instantaneous feedback. And so this, this whole process was woven together, you know, one chapter at a time with the global understanding of I knew where the story was going, I knew what I had to do next, and then I just had to sit down and do it. Uh, but you are absolutely correct. When it's time to sort of just put it out there, there's a lot of vulnerability, stuff that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting cycle, you know, because it, when, you, when you first do that, because um, that's what I was saying, I was kind of tying that, you put a lot of your own experiences into characters, whether you consciously think about it or not. I mean, we all do. I mean, as writers, it just sort of comes out. Um, our actions and reactions are, are, you know, they come from our experiences. So you kind of put some of yourself out there. And um, it, it, it takes a lot of courage. I don't think people realize um, what what you kind of will go through. And the same as, as the ratings come and as people start to review you, over time, um, it, sometimes it's a lot of, um, it, it makes you deal with a lot of stress sometimes that you didn't plan on. Uh, it does. I think in some ways it makes you a kinder, gentler person. Um, <laughs> think, hopefully. Yeah, hopefully it does. <laughs> I, uh, again, it's, you know, look, it, there, there's nothing special to that vulnerability. I think anytime anybody puts themselves up, uh, you know, uh, uh, an artist paints uh, paints a portrait and puts it on a wall. There's there's that moment of self reflection and am I good enough? And I, did I do this right? And should I have done this differently? And what are they going to think? And you know, we all have an internal voice, and it just starts, you know, it just starts running in hyperdrive. Um, but then you get through it, and you get to the other side of it, and uh, and I think it's all a worthwhile process. I mean, this is about putting yourself out there no matter what you do. Well, speaking of uh, inner voices, uh, when, when you write, <laughs> Hal knows where I'm going with this. Uh, do you feel that, uh, did you find that you, um, as you were crafting these characters and, and writing the di dialogue, did you find that you have like an inner monologue in your head? Or were you, did you find that you had more, uh, translating more images and symbols? As you were writing this, I know I hear voices. That's that's the joke. <laughs> yeah, I, I I actually hear voices as well, and and it's an inner monologue, and I think part of the challenge is 
you you want to maintain the character's voice rather than just giving it your own. Mm-hmm. Um, and because I found myself sort of translating everything into my own voice. Um, uh, there were, you know, the, 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 the book bounces backwards and forwards in history. And, and uh, uh, my mother's so happy I have Nazis in my book. Um, and so, uh, you know, part of it happens in, 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 a, in a concentration camp. Uh, I will tell you that, you know, I took about a three-month break between the, – the chapters are interspersed, but initially it was written in sort of three parts. And uh, and I wrote the whole sort of, you know, 1940s concentration camp in one, in one fell swoop. But I took about a three-month break before I tackled that, and that was really – you know, there, you know, I could write about a lawyer and I could write about a doctor in, in, in current times. And, and I had a lot of fun with that. There's a there's a scene uh, during a, an autopsy. And that was a lot of fun to do. Uh, that's language. That's dialogue that I'm comfortable with. I know these people. But uh, I felt wholly unprepared to do, you know, concentration camp stuff. Uh, and that was really the challenge is to, you know, is to now create characters that from a, from a, a bygone time and, and, and how would they talk and, and, you know, how do you push the story forward? And do you even have the right to touch this kind of topic, you know, and the tragedies in this, you know, in, in this era? And that was, uh, so talk about voices. There were a lot of voices of doubt during that time and a lot of struggle getting getting dialogue during that time. Well, you're in a hospital, so if you get out of control with the voices you hear, you're too far. <laughs> yeah, I, I can get a yeah. mandatory 24-hour admission. That's- yeah, yeah, you're, you're close <laughs> by. You, know. you have a good medical plan. Um, <laughs> I just, um, so, and you bring up that story about that because I guess the idea of going back to the Nazi time was, was uh, kind of a big part of the book of um, you know, searching for a soul, um, finding the soul and the uh, you know and evil that sort of thing like that. Um, what what made you go in that direction? Because someone from a doctor's point of view, it's usually a very scientific, you know, medical and all that. So, what made you go for the soul? Um. So to go a little bit further back, uh, in college I was a religion major, and I've always been been fascinated by faith. Uh, uh, and then as you talk to people truly of faith, uh, their their belief in the soul and the transcendence of the soul. And so, from a medical standpoint, to to imagine that there are primordial cells within the body that that house the soul and uh, and potentially uh, being able to find those those cells, I, I, I thought that made a lot of sense of bridging uh, faith and science. Um, uh, you know, the the mechanism of going back to you know to Nazi Germany. Well, again, that's all about uh, you know evilness and and a desire to find those cells and. And commandeer that soul, and and having you know tragically uh, a long list of uh, of victims that you can experiment on, uh, you know that that helped propel the story. But I do think it was it, it was an interesting bridge of 
of faith and science that, that those cells may actually exist. Well, that, it, it's pretty interesting. Where, do, where does an idea like this come from, do you think? Like, where, was there something that happened in, in, in your life or somebody you know that kind of um, led to this kind of idea? Um, I remember having the initial seed of the idea all the way back in medical school. And I think medical school is, is a profound time because you're taking an ordinary citizen and you're really throwing them up against, you know, the human body. Um, uh, uh, they're grappling with issues around, uh, uh, around existence and death and, and what happens, you know, from your first semester and you're, you're working with a cadaver. Um, you know, it, it, it's an interesting process, I think, for any medical student, and there's this ongoing transition that happens through training and residency and finally as, as an attending. So, I, I mean, there, there were seeds of it. I think a lot of it, you know, when, when you're in a hospital late at night and you're talking with friends and, uh, and everyone's telling stories, I think the fascinating thing is as, as rooted in science uh, as we all were and as we all are, you know, you, we, we always gravitated to those stories of things happening that, that we couldn't always explain. Uh, you know, the aspects of medicine that surprised us, the patients that did well when we never thought they would. Um, uh, you know, uh, you, you would meet someone and, and as a physician, they, they just absolutely believed in, in, in the transcendence of the soul and, as you press them on it, it was their experience with death and, and dealing with patients and seeing them both, uh, you know, before the life was, was extinguished and then afterwards. And, you know, it, these things just percolate. Uh, but it's, you know, it's a fascinating process as a, a physician in training and what you go through. So, uh, you know, I think it's a, in some ways, I think it's a very natural process. Uh, process where these things percolate and uh and you wonder about these aspects yeah well it's in in today's world i wonder you know there's a big anti-science movement or you know there's a lot of issues since the pandemic and other things going on um does that worry you or how does that affect you so it, it worries me, and it's something that I, I just don't understand. I, I, I truly think there's enough room for faith and God and religion within today's science. Um, uh, I don't think one excludes the other. Uh, there's, there's so much that we don't know. There are so many things that we can't explain. There are forces that are, you have gravitational and nuclear and, and uh, electromagnetic forces that we know are there. We don't understand, you know, we understand we can predict them, but, you know, you know God can live within those particles and, and we can explain a lot. So I, I, I'm very concerned about the anti-science movement, you know, uh, I'm here in Colorado. I'm, I'm part of the university. We, we took COVID very seriously. Uh, the state of Colorado is apparently we have crossed 70% in vaccinations, but, uh, I have, I have friends who have gotten incredibly sick from the disease. I know people who have passed away from the disease. You know, we took it very seriously as we should. 
and we applied science to it. And I don't think that needs to be exclusive of, of, of faith and religion. Um, I think that someone can very easily say that uh, if they truly believe in, in, in faith and, and religion, that, that, that God may have steered you know, these scientists' hands to help them uh, 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 develop a vaccine that is this effective this quickly. Um, that, that's something I can get my arms around. I don't know why it has to go to, you know, God gave me an immune system and, and, and you know, and I can fight off a, a virus, and if I can't, well, then that's, that's God's will. I don't know why it has to be that dichotomy. I think science has enough room for, uh, for religion. Well, I heard if you had vitamin B and lavender oil, you'd be okay. <laughs> Oh, well, if you do it as an enema, yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. Uh, yeah, I just, I, I'm sort of surprised. I didn't see it coming the way it did. It, it seems to be a big, big, uh, um, a big event. And in, in, in some states are worse than others, of course. But uh, um, it's crazy not to take advantage of what we do know, you know. Um, I agree completely. The one thing that gives me comfort is that when you look at history, you know, we've had waves historically of anti-science sentiment that has sort of grown and blossomed and then retreated. So we've been here before. Um, if you look at the foundation of the American Medical Association, it was in response to, uh, to these waves of anti-science and uh, and charlatans that came out and, and were selling snake oil. And so, um, I mean, it's sad to say, but as, as an American people, we've been here before. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of a process we keep going through. Um, wow. So um, what's your writing process? Like how, how you know, other than um, waiting for a CAT scan, do you sort of have a system of how you like to write or what you like to do um, to get yourself in the mood to write? Or is it, it, uh, do you outline things? Like um, how does that work for you? Um, I, I did outline. Um, I, I, you know, when I sat down, I, I knew the ending, uh, and I found that to be incredibly helpful. So I had a roadmap on where I was going. Um, I also, you know, you know, I have some friends who they wake up every morning at, at 5 a.m. and they write for an hour no matter what. And, and I've never been that kind of a person. Uh, again, my chapters are short. So, you know, when I sat down, I knew what I wanted to do. Uh, in that in that chapter, I knew what I knew what needed to come next to keep the story moving forward, and so I would sit down and then just finish that. Um, and I and so I like to sort of put a bow on it and be done. Um, so each chapter was written within one sitting, sometimes multiple, but but at least each chapter I wouldn't stop in the middle of a chapter. It would be written in a sitting. It would, you know, I'd review it, I'd, I'd kind of polish it up, I'd get to a place where I'm comfortable with it, and then I would send it out to friends and family and say, well, what do you think? And, and, and that was part of the process. I didn't wait until I had everything done and say, here you go. I was, I was getting feedback from people all along the process. Um, now, 
as far as like sitting down and writing, that's kind of how I did it. Revision is something completely different. And boy, uh, writing a book is so much easier than revising a book. Um, uh, that really surprised me. I was wondering, with um, going back to the concentration camp scenes uh, that you had to write, uh, what type of research did you need to, uh, to to accomplish those scenes, and did you need to decompress because it's you know, such a dark part of history? Did you need to find some way to decompress once you were finished? Um, so, so there was some research. Again, this is fictional, so uh, hmm. I, I did pick up some books on Nazi doctors and and uh and and do some research on uh, on uh Nazi orphans and uh and immigration to the US and the like and and the research is fun i mean you're 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 poking around in history and you're getting a sense of it um again this was that was the most difficult part of the book to write because again it, it fell back to sort of that inner voice in mind you know uh, I, I was talking to my kids the other day, and I said, my inner voice, you know, is 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 fairly nasty and kind of mean. And, uh, and you know, the inner voice there is saying, you know, what right do you have to, to you know, create characters and tell a story from, from you know, from a Nazi concentration camp? And, uh, and overcoming that and just sort of pushing forward through that. And it is pretty dark. Um, and then you talk about being vulnerable. You know, uh, uh, I am uncomfortable with some of, you know, some of my patients have found the book and they've read it. And, you know, it's like, oh, Dr. Sobel, you can get pretty dark sometimes. And, uh, and yeah, it's, it's a dark, it's a dark part of the book. So, um, uh, there's that vulnerability as well. You know, you know, uh, do I have a right to do this? Am I going to do this well? And then how is this going to be? received and how will people look at me uh, after doing it. So uh, I took time off before I tackled that part of the book, and then I took some time off <laughs> after that, that part was done. And that was a lot of, you know, show it to people. And, again, I ended up intercutting the chapters, but if you can think of that whole, you know, concentration camp section as one-third of the book done, that was um, uh, that was sort of handed off to people and, and you know give me your honest feedback what do you think and and is this you know am I am I capturing something am I doing a disservice how do I need to change this you know I don't want to offend anyone and yet I want to I want to I want to tell this story so that was the most intimidating part of it. Yeah, you have to be careful. It's a fine line. You don't want to let the, uh, as we say, noise around you uh, change your direction or change, you know, you, you don't want to concentrate on the outside too much. Um, yeah, takes, I mean, you're it takes not, away. There, there's a lot of people who I ignored when they gave comment, and it wasn't, this wasn't like, uh, I didn't go online and just throw it up and say, you know, give me your give me your feedback. There, there were some choice people uh, again, my my physician assistant was wonderful. My uh, my family. I have a friend of mine who's a phenomenal doctor, Steve Grant in in Vermont, and uh, and he was incredibly helpful. So, I had a number of of, of people who who I leaned on. Um, uh, ironically, uh, uh, my uh, my cousin's husband is a is a voracious reader, 
And so I was like, well, you know, I kind of threw it at him and tell me what you think. And uh, uh, Jack Morin, he came back with so many wonderful notes. So there are people I ignored and there are other people where I was like, wow, this is insightful and this is wildly helpful. Uh, and so that all lent itself to the revision process, which was, again, difficult, but, uh, but necessary. Always is. That's always the hardest, the most grueling. I know, but I wish you would have told me that before I started. No well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my fault. Um, your characters, so where do they come from? How do you create your characters? Are they people you see in a coffee shop, someone you operated on, uh, a neighbor? Like, where, where does it come from for you? I, I mean, I, I, I don't think it's, it's any one person, but certainly it's, it's, uh, it's people that you, you bump into day to day. Um, uh, and again, one of the great aspects of being a doctor is, you really get to know people on an intimate level, uh, both patients and colleagues, because you're you're in the trenches and and, and you're going through some stuff together. So uh, it, you know it is an amalgamation of people that I've met. There's you know uh, you know the 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 protagonist and then his two helpers. Uh, you know I knew I wanted this this circle of three. I you know each of them have. Uh, probably a little bit of, of, of a few people that I've met in the past to set a tone and, and, and create a personality. Um, that's, that's, I mean, that, that was my process. I, I will tell you, I, I did sit down and, and I, you know, I, 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 I was told, oh, you have to really understand these characters backwards, forwards, upwards, down, and create this giant backstory and do all this stuff. And I spent a weekend and I, I put out all the main characters and I, and I went through that. And I found it both frustrating and, and helpful. <laughs> I, I didn't like doing it. It felt silly doing it because I, I had already been living with these characters. I was probably halfway through the book. And yet I found it to be helpful. It, it, it does add a dimension to them. Yeah, it's an interesting process. Um, so when someone picks up your book, they pick up Primordial and they read it, um, what is it you hope they take away from that book? You know, it, it, it is a medical thriller, um, uh, it, it's, it's, it's not a work of literature. It is, it is really a story. And so I, I hope that they enjoy the journey and I, I hope they enjoy the story of it and, uh, and, and the turns and the twists that, that come along with it. I, I, I think that there are some, you know, you know, you, you know, when when you see a movie or read a book that that was really good and impactful and you enjoyed and it stayed with you, I, I guess there's some aspects of it that I want I want to stay with people and this idea of of the soul residing in those primordial cells. I, I think it's it's a fascinating concept, and and you know you can you can sort of noodle on that for a while. And, and there is the other theme uh, about evil and, uh, uh, and, and what makes somebody evil. And uh, 
uh, you know, there, there's there's a, a scene in it where they're they're talking about about that exact thing, and it was funny because I was doing surgery once, and we were talking. Uh, uh, I was with all you know in an operating room. There's anesthesia and a, and a scrub nurse and scrub tech and a floating nurse. There's a lot of people in the room, and we started talking about uh, uh, gun laws in in Colorado, and a lot of them were actually have conceal and carry. And so we started talking about, well, why? What are you afraid of? And and uh, and bad people. And, well, don't we have laws and, and, and the like? And sort of the conclusion that we, we all talked about was that the laws are there not to contain bad people, but to contain good people. Because we all, you know, if we wouldn't get caught, and it was funny, these are high-functioning people. These are lovely people in society. And we all sort of agreed if we knew we wouldn't get caught, were there, would, would, there, would there be some laws that we'd be willing to break? And it's the fear of getting caught that keeps the good person in line. And yet the evil person, you know, keeps marching forward. And so things like that that, that you know, were woven throughout the book, I think, are, are, are bigger themes and probably for people smarter than me to figure out. But, but certainly they made its way into the book. So do you, do you plan on continuing this as a series kind of thing? Do you want to go further with this and write a second book uh, to this, or do you think you put an end to it already? So so it's funny because, uh, again, I've gotten some, some great reception and great feedback for the book, and, and the response is they want another medical thriller. And, um, and I think I, you know, from my standpoint, I wrote a medical thriller because I had an idea, and it worked within that that genre. Um, and I, you know, I wonder if, you know, do do you, you know, do I now get pigeonholed as well? This is my genre, but at the same time, it's it's what I'm most familiar with. So, um, you know, I have I have started working on on a second medical thriller. Again, it, it's an idea that works within that realm, and I think it's worthwhile to keep some of those characters uh, by giving more screen time to to uh, to some of them, uh, and working through this next uh, you know this next uh, challenge that they have. So um, uh, I'm not looking for a series where we we keep banging up against the primordial cells of the soul. But I do think it makes sense that I have an idea that works within uh, the medical landscape, and and these characters can really uh, take the story and uh, and run with it. If you could do another uh, genre, I'm just curious as to what that would be. Uh, I guess I would say I wonder too. Uh, uh, I have a I have a few ideas that just fall within within. Uh, a drama car- uh, category don't have anything to do with uh, uh, with uh, either a thriller or or, or medical thriller, um, uh, and uh, it's been nice to sort of go back and look at my outlines for that and and wonder about it. Um, uh, ultimately, I think I will, you know, I will go back to that to that other just just straight drama. But uh, uh, but at this point in time, it's it feels a little safer, and I think it makes a little more sense to stay within this lane. Um, uh, you know, the, the challenge was, 
Look, I, I, I'm a practicing physician. Um, this was uh, was a phenomenal exercise, and again, things have been received really well, and it's been it's been uh, it's been a, a nicer process than I ever thought it would be. Um, uh, and then you get a little bit addicted to it, and you're like, oh, you know, I, I can do this once. I want to see if I can do this again. And so I think it's about challenges. So. I think writing a book is one challenge. I think writing a second book is a whole other challenge <laughs> that's really difficult to, to achieve. Um, and then I think the next step is going outside to a different genre. And, uh, and I'd like to do all of that. Interesting. Hmm. I, 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 so do you have any influences in the writing world? Do, are there any writers you, you just love to read? To you know, I, um, uh, I'm going back a while. I, I've always loved John Irving um, in uh, in drama. Um, uh, and, you know, people always say, well, you wrote a medical thriller. Who's, you know, who are you in that, in that science realm? And I've always appreciated Michael Crichton for, you know, taking a kernel of science and then just blowing it up into an incredible fiction. And so I, I, I think, again, um, uh, so to be clear, do I believe that the soul resides in a, a cluster of primordial cells? I don't. Um, but uh, uh, there's a lot of science within the book that, you know, kind of makes sense if you were to search for them and what would those cells look like and how would you go about that search and what would you do? So I like the application of science and then just blowing it up into a much larger fiction. No, oh, so maybe you can write into a conspiracy theory. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm living through them right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I mean. You know, it might be a good, a good indication of what. Uh, what would you suggest? Because you're a new writer, and this was your first book and your first process and going through all this stuff. What would you say to someone who's thinking about doing the same thing as you? Um. Uh, I mean, it, the short of it is, uh, uh, if I could do it, I, I don't see any reason why anybody can't. Um, I think it's a, I think it's a mountain that is that is scalable, um, and I think it needs to be taken in small uh, in small chunks and and just keep trudging up that. Um, uh, it's it's absolutely doable. It takes a lot of work, and and there's going to be moments of real disappointment. But at the end, there's a manuscript, and you can put it on a shelf, and you can say, you know, with, with great pride, uh, you know, you scaled that mountain. You did it. Okay. Now, I wonder, now, do you have a uh, website, or do you have a place that you want people to come find out more about you? You know, the book is up on Amazon. I, 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 I'm a little bit... Of, of a shy recluse, and so the thought of, of my kind of funny mug on a website got me a little queasy. Um, uh, so I haven't done that, um, but uh, uh, my, my, my wife keeps getting on me, so I'll say in the process. Well, just put a picture of Brad Pitt or something. You know something? Wouldn't that be great? <laughs> yeah. You know, patients always say to me, they're like, you look like that guy, that Hollywood guy, and I know exactly what they're thinking. They're thinking Elliot Gould. Yeah. And I'll say to them, I'll say, you mean Brad Pitt, right? And they're like, no, 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 not Brad Pitt. You don't look like him. 
who's yeah. that guy you look like? And then I finally tell them. And this is nothing against Elliot Gould. He's, you know, he's a, you know, I, I'm honored to, to look a little bit like him. But, uh, boy, do I wish I looked more like Brad Pitt. Well, you know, they don't need to know that. You know, right. <laughs> you know, just take a picture and stick it up there. Anybody. Use Dave's. No, yes. you, don't want, yeah. you don't want them running. <laughs> yeah, you don't want that. Yeah. Well, um, so um, that's it. I, I was gonna. I was gonna say too. Now you working in the medical and going through this whole pandemic and all of the weird stuff in the last year and a half, two years, and even maybe a few more years. Um, but being on the front line, I wonder if does the stress of a medical big issue like a pandemic does that affect you in your writing? Do you think that that sort of stresses you out or does it uh, make it darker or does it make it, uh, or do you have no problem with it at all? Um, so it certainly impacts things. Um, well, first off, from, a, from a, uh, the amount of free time to sit and write, um, you know, it's funny, people will say to me, so what did you do with your pandemic? With, with this thought towards, did I learn a second language or, you know, did I, did I do all these things with, with free time? And, you know, I, I joke, I'm like, well, I went to work every day. Um, you know, we, we just kept on working. Um, so there was, uh, in many ways, less time. Uh, but you're right, your, 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 your psyche is impacted. I don't think, um, uh, I think it was harder for me to get into that into that sort of zone or that framework where I was ready to write. Uh, and when I did, I you know I think it was a little you know the elbows were sharper and uh, and the like. I you know I don't think it was my I don't think it has been my best time of writing. Um, but uh, uh, you know again this is where you sit down and you and you force yourself. Um, you know, pandemic, I, I, I was just talking to my wife how, you know, how much the perception of it changed. You know, early on when, you know, we were calling our kids back from college, and no one really had any concept what was happening. You know, you want to freak out your wife. You know, I'm sitting on an iPad watching videos on how to manage a vent, and she's like, what are you doing? And I said, well, my hospital wants anyone who's – uh who's had surgical ICU experience to, you know, reintroduce themselves to vent management. Remember, I'm a urologist who specializes in sexual medicine. Uh, that got her scared. There was a lot of anxiety that we were all feeling, and no one knew where this was going. It's a very difficult landscape to then sit down and say, all right, I'm going to create a fiction and tell another story. You know, we were living through, you know, our own science fiction and our own drama. So really, really difficult time. Mm. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, you know, especially being in part of it, being part of the more of the front line, you know, I would be, um, I would think that it would sort of seep in, you know, definitely be in the back of your mind when you're trying to describe events in your book. Uh, it's certainly, yes, uh, it's, it's certainly a darker, uh, uh, it, it, it takes you to a darker turn. Now, to be fair, at this point I was doing the revision. So, uh, and the revision is, is, you know, was the more, was, in my opinion, the more challenging aspect. You're, you know, you're, you're throwing stuff out that you fell in love with and you're 
trying to put stuff in that you may not, you know, love as much, and you're just trying to to make sure everything is cohesive and makes sense. You know, uh, you know, I wasn't I, I wasn't creating the idea from cloth at this point, and so in some ways for me, you know, it was a break from that reality. You know, I could put myself into my basement and sit down and say, "All right, I'm gonna." I'm going to go through. Uh, I'm going to go through five chapters, and let's make sure this is working, and, and and let's be comfortable with this. And you know, I knew what had to be done, and then I just had to be careful that I wasn't too cynical when I was doing it. Yeah, that can be hard. <laughs> wow. Well, it's it's just been a great conversation, and uh, we're glad you came and spent some time with us. And uh, uh, we'll have your book up on our website as well, so people listening can do one click and find you. Um, wow. So uh, the book we're talking about is Primordial, and our guest is the author, um, Dr. David Sobel. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. I really do appreciate it. Thanks, David. Find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. The mission has been completed. The end! By George, he's got it! It is the end! I'll see you. If you're lying to me, I'll be back. This is Peter of something with media.